Thanks for joining us today on Two Age Sojourner. We're a podcast that promotes Reformed Baptist Confessional Clan into Kingdom A Millennial Pilgrim Theology, and uh, we are wanting to explore what it means to be Christian in light of this two age overlap, this glorious uh, intrusion of the age to come. Uh, each episode, we're the guys on. I'm Mike. Uh, I, I'm a pastor at, at Wellington, New Zealand, um, and this is Nick. Or Greg, you can name him either. If you name him Greg, <laughs> then you have to say, well, either he's got a legitimate baptism or he's got a, a false name. It's a, you know you got those choices. I think yeah, the Lord gives me my name, not the guy who baptized me. So that's okay. So I think what you're saying is you'd prefer the baptism. You'd prefer the legitimate <laughs> baptism and the false name. Um, so we'll just call you Greg from now on. But um, anyway, so he's the pastor at Timaru, and um, if anyone is listening from Timur, now you know the real identity of your pastor. There is always <laughs> value in tuning into episodes like this. Um, and then Andre usually is with us. <clears throat> He's a pastor at uh, Bethesda Baptist in uh, Felix Stowe, UK, but he is uh, currently on holiday, so we're just going to keep on trucking. Uh, music that you just heard, that little jingle, is written by Jeremy Casella, performed by Indelible Grace. Uh, well, it's written by William Williams, originally, you know, but the lyrics, uh, at least the way they've contemporized it. Um, and so go check them out, Indelible Grace and Jeremy Casella at Spotify or Apple Music. Um, check us out on our website, 2 Age Sojourner, and you got all the info there, and we'll keep try and keep that relatively updated, although it's looking pretty archaic at the moment. I need to just at least check in there once in a while. Don't worry. We're, we're, just, we're just normal guys trying to do busy life and get this in somewhere, so it's not like we've got a, a person doing that for us. We'll, we'll um, uh, update it whenever we've got something new and exciting going on. Um, but join us. Join us in the conversation. Give us a rating. Subscribe. Do all that cool stuff. And uh, let's keep going with this one. We're talking about baptism. We're talking mm. about uh, Fesco's book. Uh, what is it? Word, water, spirit. Word, water, and spirit, yeah. And um, we've been wanting to look at this for a while um, just because it is uh, kind of an updated um, argument of, well, updated and more robust, I think, in terms of its history angle and all, all the other little bits and bobs that have been added to what Klein originally put forward in uh, BioEarth Consigned. So we'll eventually, we did look at BioEarth Consigned a while back. Um, go check that out. I think I was with Chris with, for that one. Um, but this is just a, a way to kind of uh, think a little bit more about that together. And so, um, we are kind of we've made our way through a decent little uh, bit of history and um, and have decided to land on the small little part of uh, Fesco's book uh, where he deals with the 1689 confession. So for me, it feels like we've been on this great big journey across a different world <laughs> and are now landing in a very familiar place. Yeah. <laughs> And um, and uh, interesting little critique he does of he doesn't spend a whole lot of time on it but you know he says no. a few things and just because this is uh, this is where we're at and this is um, it's very relevant for us so I'm, we're not wanting to nitpick uh, Fesco's book necessarily because um, you can imagine how annoying that would be you're just running to write a little spiel about the 1689 and then they get all up in your face that's not what we're trying to do here but it's just that it, this is you know in light of where we're trying to factor this um, Fesco's argument in uh, this is a relevant little piece and plus it, it shows a bit of difference i think within the 1689 camp as well uh you've got a few different angles to work with um uh none of them particularly confessional necessarily but all uh encompassed within the bounds of the confession and so uh that'll help us out in terms of just stuff we want to talk about as we go forward 
Um, all right. So the second London confession. Um, I don't know. What do you want to do? Do you want to kind of summarize well, the second? I mean, do you want to give some history to second London and what that means before we even kick it off? Yeah, go for it. Sounds good. All right. So uh, first London confession was 1644 prior to the Westminster standards. Mm-hmm. And uh, <clears throat> after the Westminster standards had been done and the Savoy Declaration had been done, the Baptists wanted to show how they are in keeping with the broad stream of Reformed theology. And so in 1677, they put together a confession, but because it was a time of persecution, they couldn't release it. And it was only in uh, 1689, because of the act of tolerance, that uh, they were then able to publish it. And Mm. so it's therefore known as the Second London Baptist Confession. Yes. Yep. The second one. (laughs) (laughs) Which is much better than the first one. (laughs) It really is. The first one was not good. Um, But, okay, Um, he notes a few things. I mean, obviously, he notes that it's very uh, closely associated in terms of its wording to the Westminster. It's just, you know, they they try to express their unity. Um, But there are some significant changes. Everyone notices that. Uh, one of the first, I mean, there are obviously too many to go through now, but, um, and, you know, if anyone does want to look at this, I think I might actually um, have the book. No, somewhere around here. It was lying around. I saw it the other day. Um, but uh, Jim Renihan's uh, uh, overview of, you know, he does this detailed, you, you know, you can only buy it in that spiral bound format thing and it costs a fortune, but it's worth getting um, in that you just basically go through and you see every single little detail mapped out with the, um, you know, the Savoy, the 1689, the Westminster, you know, whatever else he's got going there. And, and uh, often he puts little notes in to, to explain what's going on. And um, it's really, I've, I've turned back to it again and again. But um, one of the key things that he notes in, in that um, Jim Renian does, and one of the things that Fesco notices here is that uh, the Baptist Confession uh, omits confession the term sacrament. Mm-hmm. Um, which um, I know, I just remember that from uh, Jim's class in that he spends a while on it. He likes the term sacrament. And um, I remember appreciating the point that he was making and that um, it goes slightly contrary to what uh, Fesco is saying here in that um, he kind of concludes that basically this is a decisive move away from that sacramental understanding. Yeah. And, um, and I think Jim's argument you know, from memory, I don't have uh, his notes in front of me, but it was basically, it's just widening the tent a little bit. It's allowing for both uses. It's, it, you know, I think when he says uh, the Baptist preferred, this is Fesco, the Baptist preferred uh, the term ordinance to sacrament. This was likely done to distance the confession from both Roman Catholic and Reformed views of the sacraments. I think certainly in terms of the Roman Catholic view, amen, and to the degree that the rest of the confession has tried to you know, move consistently away from Roman Catholicism, I think, amen. But um, I, I don't think that uh, they'd all agree that it, you know, or I don't think I would be comfortable saying that they were trying to distance themselves from all parts of the sacramentology of the sacraments in Reformed no. thinking, you know, and uh, that's the impression he gives. Yeah. I mean, um, so <clears throat> he does mention Benjamin Keach in a footnote. Yes, he does, yeah. I, I checked out all his footnotes, and I thought he was at least very charitable there, mm. where he notes the fact that uh, Benjamin Keach, who was a very influential Reformed Baptist, had a, a high view, a sacramental view of the ordinances. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I, I guess my feel was this, is that, you know, because you've got, 
you know, moving between the Church of Rome, Church of England, Church of Rome, Church of England, depending on who's king or queen at the time. Mm. And then the Westminster comes in and says, hang on, we want a new confession. And then instead of, I guess the Baptists were wanting to say, well, the language still sounds like the Anglicans or the, mm. or the Roman Catholics. You haven't distinguished it enough. So here's a word that distinguishes it better. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's not only the word sacrament that's, that's left off. It's also the notion of means of grace that's left <laughs> off. So yes. although, the, although the ideas are there, yes. Um, so in, but when they discuss the Lord's Supper, the language, there's a deliberate distancing in some of the language. And right. so, yeah, I think the polemical context helps with that. Totally. And um, what he does notice as well on that point, just before we get to say this, is that uh, when he looks at the Lord's Supper, uh, he does also note that the Baptists, you know, they make use of the, of the, the idea of, of, what, yeah. of whatever is meant by means of grace in a Protestant sense is, is employed there in the, in the 1689. And so he's kind of left it as a question mark, why haven't they done that with um, baptism as well? But I think they have. That's the idea, that they, they haven't rejected it. You know? And that's, I think, <laughs> exactly. um, largely what, what Jim Renier was saying. You, know, he's, you can see it there. It's just really it's a broadening out. It's perhaps just you know, it's doing what, what confessions do. You, know? you could imagine there would be some in the, in the camp that weren't all that keen for it. You know, it is a Baptist camp after all so just widen it out allow for both you know but i don't think it's a rejection is basically what we're saying no. um and uh, he doesn't say it explicitly you know but i think that's the way it kind of it gives the impression as you read this book that you know, this was a decisive move in that direction but it, it, it wasn't um so that's the one thing um you know and i think all you have to do just to see a contemporary representation of this is richard barcellus's book uh, more than a memory yeah uh, great book. recent great recently book. came out yeah, yeah just does a does a good job there in in um and sam yeah. waldron makes the point he says look use any word you like just make sure you define them correctly exactly what yeah. matters is how you define your terms not the terms you're using right and if you know certainly that's the case if you are going to use the word sacrament as well um you know there's there's much to uh be confused by there so you have to be careful one way or another um okay so that's the one thing um but he says the key to grasping the confession's different understanding of the relationship between the Testaments comes in its chapter entitled Of God's Covenant, where yeah. the covenant of grace is discussed. The confession states that, um, and then it just kind of goes on to the thing. I think most people listening to this will kind of know this, uh, this whole bit here. But this well, read covenant, it. It's essential. All right, let me read it. This covenant is revealed in the gospel, first of all, to Adam in the promise of salvation by the seed of the woman and afterward by father steps. There's the key. Mm. Um, until... Uh, full discovery thereof was completed in the New Testament. Um, and then he says, Note that the full discovery of the covenant of grace was not made until the New Testament. This statement appears to place the fulcrum on the discontinuities between the Testaments. Um, and so, you know, that's like, it's an interesting little uh, way. Because, you know, immediately... I, mean, I, I disagree with the critique. Yeah. I, I, I think one of the, the immediate reactions I had was, Oh my goodness, he's just... He's misrepresenting all Reformed Baptists with 1689 federalism, but I, I, don't, I don't think he is even doing that. It's just, uh, it's just kind of, um, you know, he's saying. I think the way he probably wants to word this is that you know we're just placing a far greater emphasis on that idea of yes. of a full, a full discovery of the the, the he, new covenant. He, he does go on later to say that because of this emphasis, and because yeah. of the way it gets emphasized and what's left out in terms of what they emphasize. Mm. 
he won't allow us to be called reformed or yeah. the 1689 to be called a reformed confession. So mm. he is, I think he's stressing this in a negative sense that mm. the discontinuity between the old Testament and the new Testament, um, that it's over stressed, he would say. Mm. Um, mm. But I mean, what, what would your pushback be on that one? I've got some strong pushback. Well, I mean, I think just in terms of, I, you know, my immediate thought there was that they do the same thing if they're Kleinian, certainly, you know, um, in that I don't think any Kleinian I've ever met is going to argue for a flattened out, you know, understanding of the covenant of grace in that the covenant of grace was just equally revealed everywhere, you know, uh, even even with the strong emphasis placed on the Abrahamic covenant or, you know, that ratification that took place there and, and the fact that there is a continuity um, all the way through undergirding the Mosaic covenant, that's fine. But even so, I think everyone would agree that there's this, this. Um, in fact, uh, you know, just after I was reading this, I can't remember even where I was reading it, but but I, I read someone else to say exa- exactly the opposite that, that that Fesco just said there from you know a staunchly Presbyterian perspective. So you know, and he was basically saying, well, you know, um, absolutely, you know, um, the, the the new covenant is the fullest, uh, clearest administration of the covenant of grace. Um, Amen. As it, uh, you know, and, and and that's just standard. You know, we would all we'll all accept that. So <laughs> that's the goal that it's driving towards. <laughs> the only ones that don't accept that kind of thing are the theonomists and those who who. Want want to basically say that there is just total continuity from the word go and there's yeah. no sense well you know even even they would admit there's some sort of progression but but uh they don't they don't want to speak of it as much um so yeah i'm not sure exactly what he was going for there you know um other than just to say there's a there's a different a difference in emphasis you know yeah i mean so i mean my you know my initial thoughts were well let's just reread that portion again and then where it's, it talks about by farther steps until the full discovery. Mm. That really is the key because, you know, he wants to bring in the critique that, you know, doesn't talk about signs and seals, doesn't talk about the fact that circumcision is mentioned, you know, mm. you know the Westminster is just so much better because it mentions circumcision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what this, what, the way that uh, the 1689 is emphasis, emphasizing it is that it's going beyond it mm. by farther steps. So it, 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 it's stressing uh, the developmental nature of the administration of the covenant of grace yeah, as it agreed. culminates and climaxes in the new covenant. Mm, exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, um, but you know, even as you say that, you know, it's kind of weird because everyone agrees with what you just said, you know? <laughs> so it's, 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 it's a odd, I think really, really, when it gets more, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It gets more vivid, I suppose, when you start talking about whether we, you know, the sacrament idea was was a vivid, and you know, do you believe that this, the, um, you know, baptism is a sacrament or not? I think that's a, a very clear thing to talk about. Um, the other thing that he brings in that is much more just clear, and uh, we can work it through, is that, you know, whether whether it is true that baptism um, replaces circumcision. You know, and because he takes, I think one of the things he takes exception to here is that there are, you know, and he seems to portray it as everyone, but it, that there are those in the Reformed Baptist camp who feel uncomfortable with associating um, the sign and seal thing all the way through uh, in the way that Presbyterians do. Um, and so, you know, that's something I think that, that's worth talking about. But even there, he makes it sound like, like that's everyone and it's very much like the sacrament thing and i think it's not at all it's certainly not from the confession what was kind of interesting about this is that he doesn't quote the confession at all 
when he's making his points, you know? It's just, yeah. it, he just, he's sort of gone with someone's interpretation of it. And uh, it doesn't let you know where he's, uh, you know, so where, why I, he's done that. I pulled out Waldron. Can I read okay. you what he says on this point? Cool, do it. So he talks about the major features of the covenant of grace. So we're looking at uh, the chapter of God's covenant. Hmm. And uh, he says, paragraph three of the Baptist Confession is an admirable statement. The emphasis of the Westminster Confession is on the unity of the covenant of grace. Only its, ex only its external ordinances or sacraments are changed under the gospel. So that's a negative critique. Hmm. The Baptist Confession does not artificially limit the development in the covenant of grace to mere changes in its external administration or sacraments. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, it does not limit its discussion of the revelation of the covenant of grace to a somewhat narrow dual uh, presentation of the old and new covenant administrations of the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. Rather, it introduces the idea of progressive revelation, beginning with Adam, proceeding through father steps until the full discovery of the covenant of grace mm. in the New Testament. Mm. Presentation of the Westminster Confession of Faith tends to minimize the diversity of God's covenantal dealings and miss the progress in the, character, in the characteristics of the covenant community. The presentation of the Baptist Confession with its use of the idea of progressive revelation provides a balance between unity and diversity and a broader perspective on God's covenantal dealings. Mm. Yeah, that's and, great. I like that. Fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, because what he's basically highlighting there is the static nature of their presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Like basically they just, they, they talk about it as if, you know, here's circumcision, here's baptism, and one just simply replaces the other. Yeah. It's just one, exactly. you know, there's no... And whereas the 1689 really is stressing the progressive aspect. For sure. Absolutely. And it's not to the neglect of the continuity. I think a lot of that is assumed by Fresco in that so. he goes, because they've stressed this unfolding progressive element that they have then, you know, automatically, you know, said no to all those elements of precedent uh, prior to baptism in circumcision and, and uh uh, and the Lord's Supper in, in the Passover. Um, and uh, that's not to deny that there are some who would see no precedent in the Old Testament. I don't, yeah. you know, I mean, it's a very fragmented group, the Reformed Baptists. You just got to, you know, admit that up front. Despite the, despite the confessional kind of unity that some might have, you don't have big overarching bodies and, uh, you know, presbyteries and so forth. So, you know, it tends to be quite, quite um, uh, scattered in that way. But, but I think um, you know, just just even if you allow that you have this few, these these groups over history and today that that would you know really want to see almost a, a an uncomfortable discontinuity there. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is certainly not the mainstream of what I've experienced, and um, and it's not it's not what I hold to. But that's that's where it went weird on the chapter because it seemed to indicate that because of that discontinuity element, therefore they must um, see. Yeah. He even, even leaves um, one of the footnotes, I can't remember which one it was, but he sort of leaves a question mark saying there is, is you know, are there truly no, uh, you know, uh, ideas of, uh, of, of <laughs> baptism and the Lord's Supper in the Old Testament? You know, as it like, who, who on earth is even suggesting that? No one, you know? know. Yeah, so it was yeah, a bit I mean, of a strong I mean, I guess if I was going to, you know, engage with Fesco's view directly as Nick, I mean, I would, I would actually say this, I would have liked you mean that as Greg. Sorry, yeah, that's the one. Yeah. I would have, I would have liked some discussion of the relationship between the old and the new. I think that probably is, you know, if I if I if I was going to if there is a strength in the critique, it is a lack of discussion. Yeah. It's a much briefer statement, and so for that reason, I, I think that is a weakness. Totally. And and that, and I guess this is where I would step in as a Kleinian Baptist hmm. and say that I think that, you know, 
using Klein's ideas, we can develop a fantastic relationship between these two things. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, I think the big thing for me is always what is excluded by the confession? Because, I, you know, if you've got room to work, you've got room to work, you know, at the end of the yeah. day. I mean, you can't hope for every confession to hit every single thing that you're doing and thinking about. But really, the big issue is, you know, where are the points of exclusion? Are, are they, is the confession, is the 1689 confession saying that, you know, there, there, there no can be no relationship? Yeah, no, <laughs> no, of course not. Is it saying you cannot hold to a sacramental understanding? Well, of course not. It, it's leaning in that direction, certainly. So, you know, those are the things you need to look for. Uh, a, a, a system subscription, you know, is really what you're looking for. You want a s systematic um, representation of your views there uh, so as to develop them, you know, in your own particular um, yeah. uh, nuance. So uh, with that in mind, he says these differences are significant in that the Baptist Confession de-emphasizes the Historia Salutis and the unfolding nature of typology, especially as it relates to the connections between circumcision and Christ. So I was a little bit taken back by that one. Um, uh, it seems False accusation. As, <laughs> yeah, it seems as though the framers of the Baptist Confession were so interested in showing the discontinuity between the Old Testament and New Testament that they excised any reference to typology and severed the New Testament ordinance from the Old Testament. Now there's this other... Oh, here we go. Sorry, here's what I was looking for. The Baptist Confession... Uh, its auto salutis is somewhat naked as it is not clothed by the whole of the historia salutis. Now, on that point, I think that there is potential for a legitimate critique in, you know, if you, in some expressions today, I, th I think this was written before the 1689 federalism thing came out. I'm not sure. I actually need to check that. It was date. written in 2010. 2010. When did the whole... So he engages with Waldron and Fred Malone. Yeah, so that was before. It was before um, uh, Pascal's book or, yeah. um, you know, Renan's book. So, uh, you know, at, at least the, the pressure's off there. You know, you know, he's not sort of taking a, a wrong turn. But um, it, which makes it kind of surprising that he would say the things that he's saying, because I think that that might apply in some ways to, you know, from what I've talked, when I've uh, you, I referred to anyone listening yeah, back to that discussion, it would have been a while ago now with Brandon Adams. Uh, we were talking a little bit about the sacraments and how they are administered, how, how, they, how the covenant of grace is administered either yeah. retroactively or otherwise um, through through the Old Testament, you know, sacraments essentially and um and uh you know there i think it came out that you know i, I would say that probably you know there's a danger of a naked auto without the clothing of the historia salutis and and so i like that wording and i think that's important that we have clothing of the historia over the auto but um i don't think we were guilty of that by any stretch of imagination and i think that's that's um that's an important point for the kind of covenant theology you know as you mentioned before is Kleinian reformed baptists that we do want to hold on to uh we want to see a continuity there uh with yeah. the with the with the order and the way that it was administered in types and shadows uh in the old testament yeah and i mean in all honesty i think he's just overlooking the language where it talks about by far the steps and as it comes to a full the covenant of grace comes to a full discovery in the new testament that's covering all the steps of the historia that but because mm. it's not spelling it out in the way that he would no. spell it out yeah yeah, exactly. And, you know, <clears throat> I think also I do like the way the Westminster does spell it out on those points. So, I mean, you know, if we're going to be fair to the 
the critique that he's giving you, I think, you know, I, that's one of the strong points of the Westminster. I, I, I wish, if I could just wave my, my magic wand, I, I would change that. I would go, hey, let's um, bring some more of that, that language more that detail. spells it, more yeah. detail, yeah. Um, let's lock it in. But obviously that was a thing for the Reformed Baptists. We know that now. You know, uh, certainly that's what uh, Sam and, and Pascal and those guys have, have brought to the fore in that it wasn't the major view um, held by the 1689, uh, at least um, all Reformed Baptist strict and particular Baptists, you know, back in the day, that they, uh, they had a variety of views, and the main one was not the one we hold. So, uh, you know, that's important to say. And so at that level, I suppose you could say Fesco's critique is correct, in that it does kind of, it does, as it, as it hits that mainstream view that came out of it, it, um, it tends to uh, show that, that uh, discontinuity was overemphasized. Um, but in terms of the relationship between the two, he does, I'm just thinking what we could riff off here, but I think, um, you know, in terms of, uh, here we go, this trend is further highlighted by the fact that baptism is not seen as a sign and seal of God's covenant, but instead as a sign of the believer's fellowship with Christ. Um, so the whole thing there, if you think of Fred Malone's view, for example, um, I think he would have been interacting with Malone by the sounds of it to some yeah, degree. He was. Um, you know, I know Malone holds to this where he's just, um, he's really loath to, to talk about, um, baptism as a sign and a seal, at least more a seal, maybe a sign in some sense, but a seal. No, he wants to talk about the spirit sealing, you yeah. know, um, he goes with the external sealing, internal sealing, external sign, internal seal. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. Now, what do you make of that? Because I've never agreed with Malone on that. Um, and I, I feel I like... I, I think I ran with that one for a while when I was preaching through Romans. I think that was my view around Romans 2. Okay. And it preaches well. <laughs> well, It's nice and clean. It's neat. Totally. Yeah. But I think the truth is probably a little messier because there are elements of both continuity and discontinuity. And there's an externalness to administration, which we want to keep and not just completely internalize the whole thing and go almost Gnostic. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, especially if you look at Ephesians, you know, you got, I think it's very clear there that, you know, when you talk about the spirit sealing, you know, Paul is looking at the sealing of the spirit and uh, identifying it because of their faith. You know, he's saying, I can see that you have been sealed with the spirit and therefore predestined and everything. Why? Because you believe <laughs> and, um, and you have love for the saints. And there's this whole new covenant reality that, that's displaying itself. So, I mean, if you think about what he's doing there, he's saying there is this internal reality that circumcision did point to, obviously, that has now happened um, that I recognize because of your faith. <laughs> so as soon as, as, soon as you, you put it like that, I mean, then you just have to ask, well, what is, what is baptism all about? Is it, about uh, is it a way to mark out that credible profession of faith? And if it is... I wonder who the Christians are. Oh, it's those baptized people over there. Right. So, I mean, you know, although it's not in, in Paul's direct purview at that point, you know, it's almost like if, if, it, if it was his concern to ask, well, what is the meaning of baptism in light of what I'm recognizing? Uh, he, would, he could have said almost as a, a synecdoche, you know, uh, yeah. this is, this is um, I've recognized your baptism. You know, in light of your faith, which shows me that you are sealed with the Spirit. So, I think you know th those are always very closely related. You know, and um, and the, the internal, as you said earlier, is is always going to be there with the external, um, and and you know you never want to rip those apart. And I think, um, as far as I'm aware, you know, most Reformed and Presbyterian would believe would agree with us on that. You know, they would see an internal reality. 
that is represented by the circumcision, uh, at least for those who have believed or professed. Um, and um, and so, you know, there's there's really no disagreement. I suppose the the extra bit of nuance that this confession is forcing out of us and forcing us to think about and talk about is that you can't make the mistake of 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 just going straight from circumcision to baptism without its fulfillment in Christ and yes. representation in baptism. So it actually forces the Christocentric sort of um, reality to to emerge before you then relate it to um, to the sign itself, um, which is why we're Baptist. I mean, that's the whole thing. It's got to go through that actual reality of, of, of faith and union with Christ at least um, in terms of what it's representing before we'd go ahead and, and uh, apply the sign. But I have no problem in talking about it as a sign uh, and, and a seal. You yep. know, actually Happy. seal more strictly is what we're talking about now. Um, but yeah, absolutely no problem. Because it's I, a, it's, you know, even as we tap into some of the others, you know, sign being merely something visible, but seal being, you know, bearing the weight of a promise and coming with authority, yeah. Yeah. you know, coming with a sense of, you know, a certainty with it. Yeah, uh, that's how Calvin applies it. You know, let's glory in that language. You know, I mean, you know, to the to the extent that it represents faith, how can it? You know, it is. Yeah. Paul says very clearly that that is the seal that yeah. that guarantees everything. You know, that's the promise right there. It's the thing that we can look at and know that it's happened to us. You know, that all of this stuff, all the we's are now used. You know, and um, and you know, so I think there's just. There's no doubt that we can incorporate that glorious language, and we've we've mentioned um, that when we're looking at Kelvin, um, it's great. As you know, we just this great overlap as long as we we have faith uh, in yeah. view there. Um, so I thought that was important to say, just um, in light of spelling out kind of the the, the I suppose the. Um, I don't know, Kleinian Reformed Baptist view that we yeah, hold. Yeah, look, we'd, we'd have to we'd have to freely admit that. There is less cohesion and less unity on the Reformed Baptist side, yeah, which is its strength and weakness in the sense yeah. that we we don't all make the same mistakes. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, you know what my thoughts on that are. There, it's there's less cohesion, but it's almost like there's less division as well. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you know, just well, I, less just, less specificity on some issues. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, you'll have like right now, as I think about it, right now, you have maybe two or three you know, camps that people are falling into within the Reformed Baptist world. But that's kind of the extent of it, really. You know, you don't really, you know, I mean, as soon as you go dispensational, you're out, for example. As soon as you, there are no theonomists, you know, it's just, it's it's very, sm- it, 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 you know, even though there, yeah. there might be we had, a, we had a new covenant blip on the radar for a while. Yeah, but I mean, did we really, though? Because well, not, not in New Zealand, but no. in America, it was huge. But not not really even they like the first London Baptist Confession, you know. Yeah, because they don't they, like they the Sabbath. And yeah, they don't. They don't. They can't even deal with the second London. So within the second London, you know, you really just have a very small bit of divergence. I mean, and I say that in comparison to what I know I can think of right now, in terms of those who hold to the Westminster, you know, uh, very very rigidly, as full subscriptionists, and are miles apart, you know, um, in terms of what they believe. It says certainly even about baptism, even within their view. Yeah. Um, you know, just, if anyone does want to look at this, um, you can get it for free online. Um, it's called "The Failure of Baptist Culture." Um, 
in America, I think. It's it's a theonomist, um, I think it was the first symposium they had in the book that followed. But uh, basically, it was written a while back. Um, but one of the guys is from New Zealand, uh, Richard Flynn. And he uh, he relates Klein's view of baptism to Murray's and, you know, tries to critique it in relation to the reformed uh, the theonomy thing. And it's just, it's really kind of just a... Uh, you know, I don't think anyone will will feel too much of a need to to go in their direction, but it is just a very interesting uh, expose on the level of disagreement within. Otherwise, you know, I mean, they hold to exactly the same confession, and you have just radical disagreement. You know, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, even within within the Baptist camp, you're still not going to have this working out in any other way but a basically two kingdom. You know, kind of approach to to Christ and culture. Baptism, regenerate church membership. Everyone's yeah. going to be more or less amillennial. Everyone's <laughs> going to be, you know. So we're pretty consistent in terms of the way it ultimately ends up for us. Even, I mean, let's take the 1699 uh, Federalist and our view, which I think is probably the furthest, the furthest apart on covenant theology. And there's going to be like, I mean, no difference between anything that we believe on anything else you know yeah uh, it just has it has no consequence in some ways uh whereas you see it within the the westminster tradition there's you know they they jot every you know you, you can get everything jotted and crossed and and um and this whole issue kind of sorted out and yet vastly different you know in terms of the way that that would work itself out so i think that's always worth mentioning you know um even though, you know, historically, it's a little bit more minority. The whole thing's just in the in the dark a little bit. It's still, it's a powerful little confession. And it brings about an amazing, because it's so consistent by way of the, the tapestry thread being pulled all the way, you know, from baptism through ecclesiology, it's through the church and state, through the whole thing. Uh, you, you've got this, you can't really go too far wrong with it. You know, yeah. you just, you just. You're systemly, systematically, should I put it, um, you know, in the same place <laughs> together, one way or another. Um, yeah. So there's there's a thought for anyone uh, who's who's weighing these things up. Um, all right. So what else did you want to mention on this chapter? Well, I wanted, uh, you know, what did you think of his critique where he speaks about, you know, the 1689 because it doesn't include, you know, the infants and circumcision and the ex- the visible aspects that it's moving us in a subjective direction because it's, it's symbolizing our union with Christ and our faith and repentance. Mm. What are your thoughts? What would you, what would your pushback be on that one? Well, I, th- I think probably we are in a greater danger than they are, for, you know, for a, a unbridled subjectivity to, to take hold of us. Um, I think that's true just because we are, again, we're sort of embracing more of those Zwinglian elements than, than they are. Um, and, you know, because there is a, a strong emphasis on the individual and, you know, there is a uh, we've talked about it a few times in, in, in this, the last few episodes where, um, you know, we it, for us, it's important to remember and experience what happened at baptism. You know, it's not going to cut it if you didn't personally experience it. And so there is that 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 element there that's just in our mix. And it's it's they seem to have not cared too much about it. But I would say that for every bit that they would throw at us in that direction the very same problem you know emerges in the opposite direction which is equally, objectivity yeah which <laughs> yeah. is just i mean it, what what would you rather have i don't know you know sometimes i really honestly sometimes don't know what the best answer there is because think about the way this has worked itself out in 
you know, in history, I mean, you got Schleimacher on the one hand, <laughs> you could go all the way there if you wanted to, but, but, you know, I do not want to be with Schleimacher, <laughs> right. but, and you but, got Roman Catholicism on the other. <laughs> yeah. Or even just, um, you know, keeping it within reformed, um, categories, you've got that sort of hyper-covenantal, uh, Dutch theology that, that took hold, you know, where they just, you know, even amongst the, the Dutch theologians, they hated the pietists and, you know, they, they um, you know, any talk of even Kuiper was just too uh, weak for them, you know. And, um, and so, you know, really what that ended up with was a cold orthodoxy and nationalism, you know. And um, I mean, that's, I mean, look, at the end of the day, you can go to hell for that, you know. Um, that's Israel, right? That's the ceremonies. That's the Pharisees. That's the yeah. whole deal. That's not a pretty place to be. And while it's true that you can get yourself into all sorts of weird places with the subject of pietistic angle, you know, it just feels to me that if you are just genuinely concerned with your own status before the Lord and, you know, repenting before him, even in a overly pietistic way and overly introspective and praying all day and all night. I mean, it just feels like you got a better shot at, <laughs> at actually being united to Christ right there, if I could put it bluntly, you know. So I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I'd rather fall into the pietistic category. Well, that's what Frame said, you know, you'd rather be a pietist. Oh, true. Well, you know, you got to be able to unite where you need to unite. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, there yeah, we go. Me and frame is what it comes down to. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> How did we get there? I don't know. Um, <laughs> all right. So all right. let's move on to the topic of baptism itself then. Mm. So, um, you know, Fesco highlights the fact that there's no reference to infant baptism. True. Uh -huh. There's no reference to baptism as a means of grace. And my thinking on that was Catholics, Anglicans, and Reformed all use the, the language of language of means of grace, and it can mean different things. Exactly. So yeah. they probably exactly. just avoided it. Same thing with sacrament. Um, that it, yeah. it doesn't mean that there is an absence of, of a, a spiritual benefit that, that's received. Yep. And it says, I mean, explicitly, it says that there is one. When yep. it comes to the Lord's Supper, so let's keep Chapter that in mind. Chapter thirty, we paragraph one, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, and then um, immersion. Yeah, that immersion was interesting. You kind of you... necessary to the proper administration. Now, I mean, I was reading uh, Waldron again today just to hear another Reformed Baptist voice, and he basically yeah. said, "Look, that doesn't mean that we would deny other baptisms." Yes, exactly. It recognizes an improper use, but if you're gonna if you're gonna just like from the outset try and do it properly, start with immersion. Hmm. Now, if someone happens to get baptized and oh, they didn't mention the Trinity, but they mentioned Jesus, or it wasn't an elder, or it wasn't in a church, or you know it wasn't properly done, they didn't go all the way under, or it was by pouring, you know these things yeah. will, will probably be seen as legitimate baptisms. But yeah. if you're gonna start from scratch to do it right, do it with immersion. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, it's really a, of a piece with what we've been saying uh, yeah. throughout in that, yes, you know, it's spelling out the ideal, obviously. And um, it's it's shooting for something here yeah, that's specific, but it's it's not necessarily all that there is. There's a there's a breadth to it um, that is also true. <clears throat> so I think that that is important. And, you know, what you mentioned the other day with that footnote where the, the, the vote came down half-half on the uh, with the Westminster, I think, makes takes the point, it takes the force out of this point. You know, because, uh, you know, now all of a sudden we're the bad guys because here we come along and we're sort of creedalizing this, uh, the fact yeah. that we must, uh, you know, immerse. And yet it seemed pretty darn close on their front anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, and so. I mean, I don't, 
I, I picked this up from the very beginning and I've been aware, I've been aware of it all the way through, but Fesco made constant attempts to try and imply a ubiquitous flexibility on mode. Mm. And that just isn't accurate. You know, there, yeah. there was definitely a preference for immersion in mode mm-hmm. and practical necessity made them flexible because, you know, there was children, there was dead people. There wasn't always a lot of water. You've mm-hmm. got prisoners, you've got the persecutors, you've got martyrs and all sorts of other things. Mm. Um, and so if, if I could be so bold as to say disingenuous, I think he overplayed that point. Yeah, totally. But, you know, it's his book as well. So let's all yeah, exactly, that. Exactly. It's his book. He can say what he wants in his book. But we're just saying like, you know, all right. I mean, and, you know, he's, I think, I, th- I think at the end of the day, what, you know what happens with these things? Like every little piece of this, you know, you put that in the actual quarters of the people that are reading it and, and they'll all have something to say. I mean, whenever you're writing an overview of any sort, yeah. you know, there's going to be, he's coming at it from his perspective, obviously. And, um, exactly. and so no, not wanting to tear it down and make it sound like he's completely just off the rails here with, with the way he's perceived the reform Baptist thing. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, we just, we just, this is our world. This is where we live. So you're not going to get pushed back. We disagree. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there it is for what it's worth. You know, uh, anyone who does care uh, in, in wanting to just see how this does square with, um, with, with what, you know, Reformed Baptists would think about what he's saying. Um, yeah. And that brings us back to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That brings us back to where we where we kind of ended off here last time and wanted to just circle in on this one. And uh, next week we can uh, start thinking about baptism and modern theology. I'm going to one, two, skip a few over that. Um, yeah. I'm do, happy to skip that one. We can talk about Schleimacher if you want to, since we brought him up, <laughs> maybe. Um, and uh, and then we can just jump straight into where were we? Um, are we getting close to the biblical theological bit? Not <laughs> I just really, wanted yeah. to make one comment in, in his conclusions. You know, uh, here's a quote: yeah. "In the Baptist Confession, baptism is not a sign or seal of the covenant of grace, but a seal of the believer's fellowship with Christ." Mm. And I think that's not true. Mm. We believe that because it's a seal of our fellowship with Christ, therefore it is also a seal of the covenant of grace. Yeah, like so we're, not dis- I- we're not distinguishing those two things. No, exactly. It's because there are prog- there are farther steps. And the new covenant is the full discovery of the covenant mm-hmm. of grace. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the symbol of our union with Christ, which is what it's all about, mm-hmm. is the sign and seal of the covenant of grace. So, right. What we were saying earlier. So basically, yeah. we, we're agreeing with Jewett and not Malone. And so to the, to the extent that he critiques Malone, amen, we're with him. But, you know, that's not the whole story. And Malone, as always, I've, I've always thought, kind of had a kind of idiosyncratic view there. You know, it, and perhaps being an ex-Presbyterian. Maybe you know, he may just a little have, hypersensitive he, on that point. Uh, he may just want to avoid certain yeah. obvious misunderstandings he had or saw in his context. Now, one of the guys he does on that point, one of the guys he um, does, um, let me see if I can find it, the, that he um, references in one of the footnotes is a Baptist. Um, and just to, just to make pe- people, I know not a lot of people are actually aware of this uh, dissertation. It was written um, in... Uh, Brandon T. D. Jones, that one. Yeah, Brandon Jones. Is it Brandon Jones? Is that his name? So, my memory. Um, that was Calvin Seminary? Uh, it was a PhD written under, I think, yeah, I think I might have mentioned before too. Um, but let me just see. I'm just typing it up here. Um, footnote 71 Jones. to 73, somewhere around there. Yeah. And uh, there we go. What is a promise? Uh, finding meaning in believers' baptism. Brandon C. Jones. And it was written. C. Jones. 
uh, under um, you know the guys there at Kelvin, and so uh, very very good. Um, and you know if you you if you do want to get it, it's on Kindle, um, and he makes the whole case for for this whole sacramental understanding and shows exactly who has believed that understanding throughout history. So it really is quite a powerful uh, case that he's made there, and uh, shows it's far from you know, gone in the Baptist tradition, you know, and um, if anything, he's calling it uh, for for some revival in that regard. There's also another um, article that I'll mention at another point um, when I get the details in front of me, but we'll go through it. It's uh, more along the lines of reformed identity, but I think it, it really helps on this point, just showing uh, what we need to think about by way of, you know, Fesco wants to sort of excommunicate the Baptists from the reform camp on this point. And, and you know, I, many others do as well. I would say I would agree with Scott Clark rather than this. And as soon as you want to start tampering around with the unity of the covenant of grace, then uh, then I think you've got a case for reformed identity. You know, uh, you at least need to sort yeah. of say you're a Calvinistic Baptist or something. But to the degree that you're holding that form of covenant theology all the way through and that unity of the covenant of grace, I think that, that you know, you are properly within the mainstream there um, or within reformed. I don't know if you anyway. noticed this, but he does, he, he says on the issue of defining the reformed identity, see R. Scott Clark. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so I think he's, he's maybe probably, he's pulling on a different aspect, or he's reading exactly, it exactly. And I think probably you could, you know, look. Uh, let me not. Uh, I have no no pretenses at all that Oscar Clark is going to welcome me into the fold, right? So oh, let me just not. let me <laughs> let me just say that very clearly. I think uh, if there's if there's a gun to my head, he's going to be the one pulling the trigger, right? But but at the same time. Um, in terms of just the recent engagement with the 1689 Federalist stuff, I actually do agree with with I. Scott Clark on okay. this stuff, um, and I think he's got a good point. And I think we do need to basically be able to say, um, all right, either we want to be, you know, thought of in that strand of of yeah. thinking. Not like that has any value anyway, but if if it does, that that's what it is, you know. It, like certainly, it must be said that they all hold to a unity in the um, in the the old and new covenants, you know, as the the, the covenant of grace is administered. Um, so I think, anyways, we can talk about that some more um, yeah, in the future. But but um, anyways, there we go. That's um, first go on baptism. So like I said, uh, we might say one or two things about modern Baptist theology, and then we get stuck into biblical theology from that point on. Awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Um, thanks, bro. Appreciate it. Cool, man. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.